Welcome to the Prometheus Strength Podcast. This is your host, Zach Powell. In today's episode, I discuss weight cuts, a hypertrophy block review, bell curves and increases in performance over time, and then the question of the day is, what is the best body fat percentage for weightlifters? Today's first topic is going to be about weight cuts. So, I have had... Um, a ton of experience with weight cuts and uh, my first one being when I was in wrestling in high school and I did it the absolute worst way possible. Um, all the way recently, um, the best meet I had was a year ago at the Vaughn Weightlifting Championships where I cut down from a very low 96 all the way to the 81 class. And I kind of want to discuss like how I did it and recommendations I would give people if they're trying to you know, get into the the lower weight class. So when I was in wrestling, I did it terribly. I starved myself, um, water cut, but I just, I did it all the time. Like I was constantly cutting and then I would have big blowouts. Like I remember my, my junior year of high school, I gained like 13 pounds on Christmas. And, you know, most people are like, oh, that's water weight. Well, I probably ate that much food too like 13 pounds of food and it was just not healthy so not that I think that a lot of weightlifters still do that a lot more education is out there but I really 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 think that so many people go about it the wrong way and it just comes from a place of fear right like you're afraid that if you get too lean your performance is going to suffer and then if you you know if you don't make the weight then you do extreme measures just to make sure and it's a it's very terrible you know it's it's the perfect storm for a bad performance and it happens quite frequently so getting into it um, depending on how much weight you lose like that's the biggest factor so for me I law I went from like I went from about like 89 kilos in March to Roughly, it was like I weighed in at like 80.1. I did overshoot it. Um, so I lost about nine kilos last year in two months to make the uh, weight for that meat. And I know a lot of you probably follow RP or, um, you know, there's many different uh, programs out there to help you lose weight. So I did not, I don't follow a structure like that. I, I did count my calories and macronutrients. I think that that's a it's a good place to start for people who don't have the education of it. But for me, I'm going to be honest, I just liked the control of it. It helped me adjust well. Um, I thought I thought it just really made sense for me to have that kind of um, observation on my nutrition. So that, that's how I did I did track them. But um, what I, the, how I did it, though, is I mapped out, okay, so I need to lose 9 kilos in roughly eight weeks so that's just a little over like a kilo a week what how many calories do I need to reduce from maintenance to make sure that happens so I actually didn't and intentionally I didn't want to cut nine kilo or yeah nine kilos of mass so I actually just got down to 80 83 the week before my meet so I only needed to lose six kilos so that my training didn't suffer that much which really didn't much at all but 
six kilos. And then I did, I didn't really do a water manipulation. I think that's where people go to first. And just water is so tricky, especially in our sport, because if you feel heavy or, you know, tired, like it really does affect your power. I know it works well for powerlifting and I, I'm not going to speak on it because I haven't competed in a powerlifting meet. But I, I would guess that uh, because strength is the only factor and it's typically least to go, it, it may be different for weightlifting simply because of our like the power aspect of our sport as well as the technique aspect. So back to it. Um, I cut 86 kilos or I, I got to 83 kilos, six total lost. From there, um, I knew that as long as I was in within two kilos of my my weight class, if I changed the weight of my food, I could get into like a comfortable distance. So like 81.5 the night before. And then from there, I would just not eat until after after weigh-ins. So the piece that I want to stick on is like our food weighs something, like food weighs something. And if you are eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, you're eating a lot of fiber and fiber intentionally slows down digestion or it doesn't intentionally, but we eat it to intentionally slow down digestion, which means that it's in our system for a longer period of time. So we can actually use this for us. So if we keep calories the same, but change the weight of our food, our weigh-ins will change as well, significantly. Um, I use the example of like an apple versus a granola bar. So if the calories are equal, 100 calories for each, the apple is going to have much more mass to it than the, the granola bar. The granola bar is going to be much smaller. It's going to have less weight. So when you eat it, your total weight is going to be less with the granola bar. This is problematic in the long term because a granola bar is less satiating than the apple. But the point of this is for weight cuts, if you manipulate the weight of your food at the end of the weight cut, you can actually manipulate your body weight to a greater degree. It's going to change person to person depending on how much you eat. So the bigger you are, the more your food is going to weigh as because you have more food to eat and vice versa. The smaller you are, the less food you can eat. So for me, I got like a kilo and a half out of that in the last week and then the last you know as long as I weighed half a kilo and I did overshoot it I could have probably eaten the night before and been fine um, another tool that I've used with myself and helping other people weight cut is a general rule is like 12 to 16 hours for digestion so if you give yourself 12 to 16 hours before you weigh in to see where you're at you can typically see like how much your weight changes. Also, three weeks before the meet, I weigh myself the night before and the morning. Like So the night, at night, and in the morning to see what I would weigh, how much weight I would lose overnight so that I knew the night before what I could weigh in order to, you know, if I can eat in the morning, if I can drink my coffee, if I can have any water. Because it, it weight cutting isn't just like a plug and play. It really is like, we we go through it and we have to be active through that entire process so basically just making sure you're eating as much as possible while still losing weight to keep your performance through training and then right at the end you can keep your calories the same assuming you've done 
all the good work beforehand and then just manipulate the weight of your food and give yourself a little bit of a wiggle room. It may not work for everyone. You know, I want to give that caveat, but like I said, you know, don't don't think that the week before you're going to cut 9 kilos to perform well and hit some records. Also, when I did this cut, um, I did a meet in February, and that's when I was I was weighing around 91, and I actually attempted 120 snatch, and then when I dropped to the 81 class, so uh, I actually hit the 120 snatch. So I wouldn't say I lost any strength. I hit my best total ever. I ended up winning the meet. Um, so I had really good results with this. So, you know, if you found a good weight cutting procedure, continue with that. But I, I think that it's it's really good to be mindful. Um, I don't target specific macronutrients. I think people go to carbs first. It depends on the person, how you feel during it, and that might change over one's career. For me, I actually keep um, carbs, quote unquote, relatively high. Obviously, protein, it's like a gram per pound is where I go because I don't want to sacrifice other calories. Um, but it, I really do just do like one gram per pound of protein. I find a good level of fat. So at the time, I was in like I was doing a range. Well, actually, I wasn't tracking carbs and fat specifically. I was just doing protein and calories. And then I would let my carbs and fats figure themselves out. And so one day, maybe I was eating a little more fat, and then I would take the calories from carbs, or the the opposite, I would take more calories from fat to eat carbs. But I was just making sure my calories and protein would be the same each day, and then, you know, I would just take that on. And I would make adjustments, so also with that, I would I did weigh myself every day not recommended for everyone but that way I could get a good idea of what trends were because if I had a high day like I would just take a, a rolling average seven day average and I wouldn't make decisions based off of single days I would see okay wh what's my weekly average if it was going up which it never did if it was going up I would have reduced and then more often than not I was cutting too fast so I actually I actually increased my calories a few times to make sure I wasn't losing too quickly um, so, so the takeaways from that really just know that your weight, uh, your food weighs something that's important because you can manipulate that at the end, take it slow, plan it out. Like, I think so many people are just like, okay, I, I it's crunch time. I need to start, uh, like I have, I have a meet in a week. I need to make weight, plan it out way ahead of time. Like you, you plan your training, plan your weight cuts. Don't do something drastic. Like you can make big cuts but you got to plan it out. You got to be smart about it. You got to make sure that you're eating enough around training and, um, and find what I hate using this term so much, but what works for you, like mentally, like if you can stick to something, that's all that matters. And it, and it serves you well. So for me, it was tracking calories for that meat. For some people it's, you know, the RP templates, and I'm not sponsored by this, but I know a lot of people are successful with those. Um, or, you know, you maybe you hire a coach to, to help you with the weight cuts, whatever it is that, you know, works for you, your training is going well. And then, you know, don't do a huge water cut at the end if you don't know how you perform. Water cuts do absolutely sap you of energy, 
even moderate amounts, just to what degree, you know, it depends on the person and how, how big the water cut is. And, oh, and the last thing I want to add to that is even, I, even though I did it every single time, um, I really don't recommend people weight cutting until they're trying to qualify for something or if they really want to just look better. Um, because if you're not competitive, the cut itself is stressful and there's no reason to be in that weight class. Obviously, you can do whatever you want, but the I think that most people would probably perform better if they just went in to the meet just worrying about the lifting, not worrying about their weight class. Once you start trying to qualify for things, and you know, with the American Open Series, there's a lot more qualification periods, then you know, we would start talking about weight cutting for meets and making sure that you fit in that weight class. But I am of the opinion that not every single lifter needs to cut weight. The only caveat I would say to that would be sometimes it just f makes you feel more like a weightlifter or more like an athlete to be cutting because it's a it's a part of the sport and I can't knock that if it gives you more you know energy for the sport or if it gives you more buy-in you know that's something that you got to take on but from the outside looking in not everybody should be cutting to get to those classes and that's a, a big mistake I made with a lot of my earlier meets is I would still just try to get to the 85 still get to the 85 and I think that it just didn't help me that much not until later on in my career okay second topic of today is going to be my hypertrophy block review so the, the training I've done for the past six to eight weeks or six to twelve weeks if you count all of my balcony workouts and band workouts I was doing at home during the the stay-at-home order. Um, so when I got back to the weights, I, I really wanted to get bigger. I wanted to practice what I preached about lean body mass, increasing performance. I really wanted to do an experiment on myself, see how it will affect my weightlifting. So the good and the bad, um, starting with the bad, and then we'll get to the good. So starting with the bad, I fell into the trap of more is better. So I was doing everything for my whole body. So chest, back, snatch, clean and jerk, squats, uh, push, or not a push press, but strict press, arms, everything. And it's not, the problem isn't that I was doing everything. It was that I was trying to maximize each individual lift and body part. And that just caused me to do way too much. So I calculated, or I was like counting how many sets my legs were working and that I was including snatches cleans i didn't include jerks but you can absolutely do that um and throughout the week i was up to like 36 sets of like my my legs being used to some capacity and i was so incredibly tired i don't know that i was quote unquote overtrained, but it was definitely way too much volume for me and that was just on my legs. So I was doing, you know, I, I don't really know how many total sets outside of that for the rest of my body, but like I, I was, I just fell into the trap. I was being irresponsible with my own training and I'm glad I did that because I saw how much it affected me. Um, but like I, I really just overdid it. And 
I'm going to tackle a point that I didn't expect to, but the, I felt really tired. My legs were, were hurting, not hurting, but like they, they were so just dead leg. Um, my knees, which typically don't feel anything ever, uh, were starting to get tight. Didn't like that feeling. Um, but the, I, I like the one thing that was like so clear to me was I was just so exhausted um, after training and just really constantly after that. And I've experienced this before with high volume and I, I man, it, so people would typically say that, that your CNS is fried and we've heard this so many times, but, or your CNS isn't firing. And the joke I always make is if your CNS isn't firing, that literally means you're dead. But beside the point on to be completely frank the i don't believe that i like many people ever need to get to that point where they're always feeling beat down from training my experience has been that recovery is such a huge part of training and i don't mean going home and stretching or sitting in a bath i mean not doing enough that you can't recover or doing so much that you can't recover from it um, managing the stimulus. And, uh, because I got back into it, I was super excited about training. I literally just did way too much for myself. I could have done one set of squats instead of three set of squats after all of my other leg training. And, and at the end this past week, I did that and I felt so much better. I didn't get like walking out of train, like, uh, walking out of training. I didn't feel super beat up. I felt much better. I still felt like I stimulated the muscles. I wasn't, my knees didn't hurt as bad. I just, all around, I think it was much better. And from what I know, logically, we don't have to overdo it yet. Here I am still, you know, overdoing it. But words of caution, just make sure you're doing enough that you can recover from it over time, because that's the point that we're training over time. And sure, you can do a lot and I, I was still fine. I didn't hurt myself or do anything like that. It was just, I could feel that it was literally too much. And I had my training partner couch, look at, um, look at my training and he said the same thing. So I wasn't, you know, just not wanting to do the work. It really was just a lot. So now getting into the good part of my hypertrophy block, um, I definitely got stronger in the movements that I was training in that. Um, so strict press was a big part of mine. So my leg strength compared to my upper body strength is there's a big, um, big disparity there. And we've talked about that before. Uh, but I, in the beginning, even like 40 kilos was tough for me to hit for a set of 10. And then this past week, so over four weeks of training it, I was doing, I did two sets of 10 at, um, 53 kilos. And then I wanted to try, um, how, see how many I could get with 60 kilos. And I ended up hitting a set of five, which is definitely stronger than I've ever been. Um, I don't know if I've ever tried a 60 kilo strict press, but doing it for a set of five, I definitely know that I'm stronger, especially in the set of 10 range. Um, and then also I did a 70 kilo muscle snatch for a triple. And um, obviously muscle snatches are a good proxy to see how um, hypertrophy are going because I do believe that 
at the top end of, of performance there, you're using less momentum and, you know, much more of your, your muscularity. Um, and it's not perfect, but I hit 70 for a triple, which I have never done before. And uh, I'm pretty happy with that. I, I, I think that it went well. Obviously, there's, you know, some training variables and neurology, but I do think that making making some progress on those lifts make makes sense that I would have, you know, put some muscle on. I don't like going by the mirror or feeling bigger or going by the, the scale um, because there's just so many factors and we're really not good at objectively seeing our own physique to know that you know we put on more mass um so i'm not going by that metric but i'm curious to see now that i'm going to go into back into like a weightlifting phase how that carries over so i would say i'm successful i learned a lot not to overdo it and that's my recommendation to you to not overdo it especially if you want to do something where you're adding in things that you don't normally do don't just copy and paste like a two programs don't try to do weightlifting plus hypertrophy you have to have those things coalesce together all right and then topic number three um bell curves and increase in performances so this is as like a population um in weightlifting so um for those that you don't know i used to train uh at spoon barbell and that's been around since 1974 um richard fleming is probably the most notable uh, person from the gym who he uh, has coached many athletes like Spencer Arnold, um, Chad Vaughn, uh, very, very high level coach. He's obviously the top international, he is a top international coach. Um, but also there's many different athletes that came out of there. Um, and I, I got to see how, how like performances have come through the years. So in the 70s, obviously, there were a lot of people, you know, using using drugs, and that's a big thing right now, like the IWF getting uh, getting investigated. But the the thing that I wanted to talk about is over time, how how have things changed? So, um, I was fortunate enough to like meet and lift with Jim Napier. So Jim in 1979 snatched the American record at the 81 and a half kilo class of 155 kilos. So even by today's metrics, that is an amazing lift. And his technique is nowhere near what we would call good today when he snatched that. And I already discussed factors that may have helped him, but we have not like that that was amazing back then and that would be an amazing snatch now the reason i bring that up is it's easy to think that we have had a ton of success learning new modalities to teach lifters and i think that our education has come a long way but with a greater pool of athletes we can see many more outliers and with that being said we see outliers on both sides of the bell curve so um, just to go like on that point a little bit more. So the bell curve would be mean that we don't have very many lifters in the sport who aren't very good or that don't respond to training. And then we have athletes on the far end of the right-hand side that really respond to training. They do really well and they're above everyone else. 
but most people fall within the middle, causing that bell-shaped curve. And I don't know that we're we we sure we see a lot of we see a lot of athletes who um, are obviously very strong. Uh, it, we see a lot more freaks, but as your pool of athletes gets larger, then you're going to see many more athletes getting into those outlier ranges, but it also falls onto the, the left side of the curve. We see a lot more people who maybe not, maybe weren't attracted to the sport because they weren't good at it, but now since it's much more inclusive, we also have those people in the sport too. So the reason I brought up Jim is at the time, like he was also an amazing athlete. There were people who were, who were capable of those feats before, just like there are now. So I don't think that we're, not not that we're like hitting end ranges of strength we're just getting a larger pool of athletes and we are seeing many more outliers more people at the ranges rather than just one Jim Napier we're seeing you know five of those athletes in different weight classes now um, and, and you know obviously there were a lot of great weightlifters before um, uh, so like Sean Hammond you know we're, we're seeing freaks beforehand but we're seeing a lot more people approaching that top because there are so many people in in the sport um, and and people can fall anywhere on that that line and that was you know almost almost for, uh, 41 years ago so um the and, and and i do think that we have had great successes in in learning and having people develop but i think where that the the teaching and all of that really lends itself is to people who are on the lower end of the curve because they need to eke out everything they can any response they can from training versus people at the top they don't need let me rephrase that they they definitely need good programming to progress just what is required for them to progress might not take as much effort because they are hyper responders to any type of training so over time we're the average performance for males has not changed much at all but the we're gonna see a lot more people falling on opposite sides of the the bell curve then today the the question of the day is um, body fat percentage for individuals and performance so like I talked about before I actually hit an all-time PR snatch when I had cut to the 81 class and I am just curious like what what is a like I hate to use the word optimal I know it's different for each person but like how do we know what what people are going to perform at like how well are they going to perform at different body fat percentages because I, I know in different sports when people increase their body fat and you know they go up a weight class and muscle hasn't caught up yet they perform way better or you get the opposite some people increase their body fat and the performance never changed um going back to richard coaching chad you know he talked about how chad had increased his, he went up weight classes and his performance didn't change at all because of the weight and um you know i fall into this trap where i'm like oh man i want to be an 89 but i did better as an 81 i don't know going back and forth and you know, the reason I'm so torn by that is because of the, the lean body mass research. Um, I know it, I'm an N of one, but it really interests me whether or not you 
you know, how people will perform at different body fat percentages. I tend to feel better when I'm lower and I obviously perform better. I've had my best meet at a lower body fat percentage, but it's a lot more effort to stay that low versus like being a little bit higher. It's less, less effort during my training. And, you know, obviously that's, you know, advantageous. So I'm not stressing out about my food all the time. So, you know, really something that I don't know the answer to, whether it's better to be a lower body fat percentage or a higher body fat percentage within ranges. Um, because, you know, a good example of this also is super heavies versus the 109 class. The numbers are obviously larger, but not significantly enough to the point where it matches how much bigger most people in those classes are. Um, so, you know, I, I'd love to hear people's thoughts, like what people think. But I, I'm actually not sold either way. For me, I like being leaner when I'm when I'm lifting, but it, that does take a lot more work for me. So let me know your thoughts. Once again, thank you for listening to the Prometheus Strength Podcast. Um, you can find me at on Instagram at Zach.Paul. That's the best way to communicate with me. And uh, if you enjoy this, I'm on all, all platforms. So please leave a rating and review, and I'll see you guys next week.